When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of Alec Mappa Hot Mess with Matthew Dempsey, psychotherapist. I'm Alec Mappa. I'm an actor, comedian. I live in Hollywood. And welcome to the number one destination for drag queens uh, seeking better <laughs> mental health solutions. Yes, welcome. And I'm Matthew Dempsey. I'm a multicultural counselor and psychotherapist. Oh no, Matthew, I can't hear you. Why? <laughs> Matthew, I can't. What happened? Is it just me? I can hear myself. What did, did Jamie mess with my audio? How come I can't hear Matthew? I don't know. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. I can hear you now. <laughs> oh, good Lord. What did you say? Did you say I'm Matthew Dempsey, psychotherapist? And multicultural counselor. That's right. Okay. So today we're talking about, uh, <laughs> we're talking about fixing negative self-talk. Yeah. All right. So right before the show. I looked into because we use Zoom for you know uh, for uh, the um, recording. Uh, recording, we do Zoom for recording, <laughs> and we use part of the video for our social assets. And um, usually, my skin is right on point, but I have a, a bright red zit on my nose, which you can't tell until Alec gets about one inch like, away from right the camera. Right there. And like, but that's now it's all I can think about. <laughs> Look at it. I just. Uh huh. I'm nearly 60 years old and I still have acne. It's wrong. It's sick and wrong. Okay. Is that your negative self-talk? No. That you should no. not have any blemish or imperfection at a certain age? Yes. Yes. That is my negative self-talk. How come? Why not? Because I'm supposed to be perfect in every way. <laughs> That's why, Matthew. Why else? Because we're gay men and we're supposed to be on top of it and yes. we're supposed to be perfect. Yes. And if we are not, we are pieces of shit. That's- why? Why would you say that's very specific to us as gay men? How come? Because we grow up overcompensating. You mm-hmm. know, we I, well, I personally, I did. My father was very homophobic growing up. His language was homophobic growing up. It was very clear that he didn't like that I was such a big sissy. He was always <laughs> kind of like, and I said, like, was, like it's past tense. <laughs> like it's all gone. You're healed. And I'm completely mask for mask here. <laughs> Um, it's not that funny. Easy. Um, <laughs> so my, so my, and and because my father was so, I loved him and I really wanted to please him. I was so hard on myself because mm-hmm. he was hard on myself. And so as a result, the voices are tough on myself, like mm-hmm. as an example. And then I want to hear your take on this. Yeah. Uh, Your experiences with this. I I was doing a pilot earlier this year with Alec Baldwin and Kelsey Grammer. And every time the producers would call me Mm -hmm. or they'd text me, can we talk to you for a second? And it was usually something great. Like you're doing a great job or what are your ideas on this? But my first thought was I'm being fired. Oh, yeah. They hate me and they're getting rid of me. Like I immediately went, I immediately awfulized it. Yeah. And I had to like stop to the point where the producers were like, Alec, shut up. We love you. <laughs> like, I, cause I would always say, like, what's wrong? And he's like, Alec, 
You're not getting fired. We think you're hysterical. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So, but that's how tough the voices are in my head in a pinch. Do you have any situations where you're like that with yourself? Well, I do. But just to comment on what you're talking about, it's easy for us to catastrophize, right? Like you say, awfulize, catastrophize. We kind of jump to the worst case scenario because of this history of negative self-talk, this, this, this really deep rooted core belief that something is inherently wrong with who we are, that there is an, that there is an inadequacy kind of within us. And it's also a juvenile perception, right? It's based on a child's perception, self-perception about how we learned. Yes. I mean, these are things that we learn really early on in life. And so Uh for, for us, as we've talked about, you know, we, you know, we grew up having, you know, our own internalized homophobia and thinking that there was something inherently wrong with who we are. So not so even when we get to a point then where we come out and we live our lives as openly gay, uh-huh. we can still have that deep rooted core belief that there is something inherently deficient about us. And then mm. that can manifest in so many different ways. And we can kind of get anxiety about it and have that negative self-talk spin, which is why it's important for us to know what that negative self-talk is yes. and be able to give it context so we can see the bigger picture. Like, uh, for example, ooh, I'll be real vulnerable. Okay, so. Okay. Um, oh, welcome like, to the show. Thanks. I'm the one walking around vulnerable. with egg all over my face and you just get to I mean, you think I'm going to talk about major, you think I'm going to talk about major drama, but it's also like really kind of superficial blemishes okay. and stuff. But right. I um, like, I, cause you know that I've been getting these like bad styes in my eyes, right? Like over yes. the last couple of years, I've they had some as we disgusting. <laughs> like how you've been able to look at me. I don't know. You're brave. <laughs> And so, so this has become kind of like the newest place where I project a lot of my anxiety. Like anytime that I'm, it's so, it's so irrational and I'm so aware of it. It kind of drives me crazy that I can't like control it more, but like it is what it is that I get so paranoid that I'm going to get styes. And it particularly shows up when I think like, um, if I'm in a really vulnerable space, like I kind of started talking to this new guy, we've been on like a few dates, he's nice. And we're going to go out tonight. And I'm feeling like, like out of nowhere, I'm like, I've got a sty. I'm gonna get a sty. Oh my god, there's something wrong with me. It's gonna oh, be gross. You, you start, you start being anxious about the sty in yeah. advance. Yeah, yeah, and it's so crazy because it's just I focus, hyper focus on this one stupid fucking thing. Who would do that? Who but- would do such a thing? <laughs> Alec is bringing on, his nose really close so he can show us his blemish who, again. <laughs> who would focus on one tiny little thing? <laughs> but it's important because if I wasn't if I wasn't more aware of the larger picture of okay, wh- where is this coming from? Like, wh- mm. what is this really about? Right, and right. where is this coming from? And what's the story that I'm telling myself? If I'm not plugged in consciously into what that is, then all I'm thinking is I'm crazy, I'm stupid, this isn't real. Like, blah blah blah, and then I just beat myself up over it. And there's the majority of the people who don't know there's I feel like there's all these people walking around there by the way this is a mental health podcast everyone and if you're tuning in for the very first time welcome and uh, a download and subscribe and if you're coming back thank you we're so grateful that you're here uh, we started this podcast in order to talk about things like this in order to yes. take the stigma out of it so there I think there are people walking around there and I was one of them before therapy going why am I obsessing on this zit yeah. night and day yeah. And what therapy did for me was it helped. I started holding myself accountable for my thoughts because it's not yeah. enough to have the thought. You have to kind of recognize that you're having the thought. 
Yeah, you have um, to be being aware, and it and this is a practice for us being aware that we have thoughts. We are not automatically identifying with that. These thoughts are not us. So we have thoughts. These are stories that we've learned, and we continue yes. to kind of perpetuate and you know kind of run through these narratives over and over and over again until we become conscious of it. Don't identify. Give us a, give ourselves enough breathing room to just kind of observe the thinking, and then we have an opportunity to start rewriting those narratives. You know, are you so seeing it, somebody? Are you dating? Are you dating somebody new? I like, I literally just said I've gone on a couple of dates with a I guy. Know. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. So what, I you, want, what more do you want me to tell I, you? I would love to it's see been you just I, a couple a dates. I would love to see, I would love to like dress up as a waiter and just <laughs> eavesdrop. Can I tell you? Can you? I tell you? I actually, bet you're I'm so the, cute on a date. I'm, I give really good first date and then it's the second date that I get a little bit nervous. Like you're like, <laughs> let me get to know you. Let yeah. me get to know what's wrong. Why are you pulling away? Right. Because then you start to get to know somebody a little bit more and there's a little bit more access. It's a little bit more vulnerable. I want to share with you a childhood memory, which is, which kind of really paints the hard wiring that I'm overcoming in my okay. brain. Okay. Tell me. Because I do believe that the negative self-talk starts early. Yes. And, um, and my therapist said the healthiest will ever be. It's not that you'd never have any stuff because I'm like, I I had one session where I was like, why are we still talking about this? I've been mm -hmm. seeing it for 10 years and the same shit keeps coming up because the, he goes, the stuff will come up. The yeah. healthiest we can ever be is when we say, where is this coming from? Yeah. Or, or at least at the very least, just recognize I'm in my stuff right now. Yeah. And I know that this is negative and I can tell myself a different story. Yes. I, was this really, I, I came across my friend post this uh, yesterday. It was this really cute post on, on somebody on some account. And, uh, and it was this kind of like carousel of like, it was like a comic kind of like a little cartoon yes. story. Yes. And the story was titled befriend your shadow. And, uh, and it was this really cute. You put it on your Instagram story. I put it on my stories. Go check it out. It's this really cute kind of story where, uh, you know, where it's like the, the, you know, you kind of always want to like push away, like go away. You're making me crazy. Like, you know, you think you need to push away any uncomfortable feelings or negative self-talk. And that's not what we want to do. We want to make sure that we're not judgmental and pushing it away. We want to give it a little bit of space to come up so we can actually take a look at it, just become a little bit more curious about it. And then we can kind of like gently nudge and, you know, rewrite and things like that, but not in a way that we have to get rid of it altogether. That way you're going, shut up, negative yeah. talk, go away. Because <laughs> so, it's um, not going to happen. The more you push back, the more it's going to push back on you. It's like trying to fight your way out of quicksand. You can't do it. It doesn't work. In kindergarten, back in the Jurassic era, when I was in school, we had, uh, uh, and uh, it was really important to me, at, even at five, even at kindergarten, to be a good boy. Yeah. And, and that was a huge part of my coming out when I was crying and I was telling my mom, I inadvertently mm -hmm. came out, uh, not inadvertently came out, I inadvertently said, but I'm still a good boy. I'm Aww. a good boy. Meaning that I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't necessarily think of myself as a good boy. And in yeah. retrospect, I was the sweetest boy ever. I was just yeah. so sweet. So I, okay, we got to wrap it up because we have, but I, love, but I love that you, that you said it out loud and even kind of asking for like license so that you can maintain an, a positive narrative and, and self-talk for yourself that you're a good boy. I, I'm a sodomite, but I'm still a good boy. I, <laughs> I take it up the booty hole, but I'm still a nice person. So <laughs> Okay, weirdest segue ever. Kindergarten. Um, oh, my God.
It's Milk Money Week. This, and then we're going to bring on our guest. We have an amazing guest today. We have Denali Yay. from RuPaul's Drag Race, who is yes. even more beautiful in person than she was on the show. I mean, just, just a beautiful, beautiful performer. And um, we're going to talk to her, and I can't wait. So it's Milk... Uh, okay, we had to bring in 35 cents. A what? dime and a quarter for Milk Money for the entire week. That's how much it cost in eighteen. Are you still talking about kindergarten? Yes. Well, okay. Because so I'm talking about this is what this is what was this is what I'm working against. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. I forgot my milk money. <laughs> I reached into my pocket. They said there's 35 cents, and it's we haven't even been let in yet. And I remember this so vividly. Yeah. I was like, "Do you have your 35 cents today, Alec, for milk money?" And I reached in my pocket. I didn't have it, and mm. I reacted as if what what somebody just said, uh, "Your mother died." Yeah. I broke down. I was uh, crying. I was like, oh no. Yeah. Oh no. Like I catastrophized it to the point like something horrible was gonna happen because I forgot. And like there was like a parent there who was like, shut the fuck up. Here's 35 cents. Like yeah. quickly handed me the thing and said, Alec, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. But to me, looking back on it, and I've discussed this in therapy, it was that that was the chink in the armor. That was yes. the imperfection. Yes. That it was like, oh, I did something bad. I'm yeah. bad. I'm bad. And that's what it feels like. Anytime that there's, if we have any kind of negative experience or any kind of issue or conflict, sometimes it really can feel like, oh my God, it's, I'm fully, I'm fully, masks off. I'm revealed. This yes. is what's wrong with me. And my world is coming to an end. Right. And I'll never be loved. Yeah. yeah I'll never be loved. Nobody will love me. Coming up next, Denali from RuPaul's <laughs> Drag Race. <laughs> We're talking about negative self-talk and how to turn that around. We'll be back right after these messages. We're very excited to get to know our guest today. She's a professional ice skater as well as a drag queen. You may have seen her as a recent competitor on RuPaul's Drag Race season 13, where she has been an undeniable fan favorite. She's been an undeniable fan favorite. <laughs> She's about to start touring in the UK, Canada and beyond. So look out for that. Please welcome to the show, the fabulous Denali. Yay! Yay! Hey y'all! Hi. Thank you so much for doing the show and 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 um, agreeing to talk about such tender, squishy subjects. Um, now I was crazy about you on your season. Oh, and thank you, you. And we heard from our producers that while the season was going on, you didn't feel seen, and I felt like you were a major part of that season. You know, it's so crazy because truly this topic uh, that we're talking about today is so poignant in my life. And it's uh, something that's followed me so much, but it was very prevalent during my airing on RuPaul's Drag Race um, because, yeah, I did feel kind of invisible. It was mm. a really weird experience and it was completely not the case. <laughs> yeah. You know that you were a man in a dress and makeup and stuff. You were kind of hard to miss. That part I knew. I was a big old lady with big blonde hair. No, yeah. well, okay. So, so lay it out for us. What was yeah. like? What was the specific instance where you felt like I'm not being seen, based on what we saw on the show? Like what episode? Right. There is an episode where um, I I think it's an acting challenge or something, but I'm wearing my favorite outfit. And it is a chandelier gown. Amazing. Um, it was Ooh. made by my incredible friend, Joshua Naponte, hand-stitched like every single bead. It was incredible. Um, it was for, thank you. It was for the beads category. And I was just really like, I just love that dress. It meant so much to me. And I explained to the, you know, producers why it meant so much to me. And like, 
I just really felt like, oh, this was a good episode for me. And not only did that explanation not air on the show, but the, um, that challenge, I was safe. And I think that that was like the third week in a row that I was safe. And granted, any girl that's safe in that show and in that environment should celebrate that because it's such a, it's such a crazy, but you didn't go uh, to be safe. I didn't go to be safe. No. And I, (laughs) you know, when I get in competition mode, I go to figure skater mode and I want to be the very best that I can be. And I want to be seen and I want to be rewarded for that. So I thought I did really well. Um, but again, you looked like the chandelier at the cosmopolitan in Las Vegas. Oh my God. Yes. It was that (laughs) elaborate. It's like Matthew, it's like she walked into the chandelier at Las Vegas. And I think who won the beating competition that it was who won it was was it uh olivia i want to say i want to say it was olivia you're right olivia Olivia. won and it was not as elaborate it was a nice look but in um in denali's full disclosure in denali's defense i felt like she was robbed in that episode (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know sometimes in the television world or uh in really just any sort of entertainment world that produces engagement from a fandom or from a fan base. Uh, Sometimes having a person that the fans really, really support suddenly get robbed or whatnot, it only increases engagement. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes reality television will do that in order to increase engagement. Even if you think it's unfair, the, Uh. if you think it's unfair, 10 times the amount of people are going to talk about that unfairness and that just increases ratings and engagement and everything like that. So who knows? But yeah. at the end of the day, you know, who knows how it's really judged? At the end of the day, I did felt, I felt really invisible. And unfortunately, because I'm someone that really cares about their craft and their art, I internalized a lot mm, of that yeah. feeling. And I took that narrative that was on the show into my real life and you know, it was really difficult. So, you know, not only did I feel invisible there, but then I started to, I I went home and I internalized that. And I was like, you know, you are just that girl. You're just kind of that moderate girl. You're the safe girl. You're the Mm. not really noticed girl. And that's okay. Let's just try and do our best with what we've been given. Um, It's still a wonderful platform. It's still a huge opportunity. So let's work hard after and produce some cool content or whatnot. But when I tell you it was the most healing experience to have the real world and to have fans understand and be like, Hey girl, we see you. Mm. We see you. You're not invisible. You might be invisible to TV and Hollywood and producers and uh, the judges or whatever, but we totally see you and we love you. And that was like, it just like, it blew my mind. And, when, when, when anyone says like, what was the most defining part of your experience on Drag Race? I will always say the fans because it, it, it made that whole experience, just a whole full circle tied in a bow, wonderful kind of thing to be seen. You know, everyone wants to be seen and everyone yeah, wants to be yeah. visible. So well, everybody yeah. and everybody wants to be seen. And I think especially for us as queer people growing up where we've had to like, you know, historically hide for so long, it's like, not only do we want to be seen, but we finally want to be told that we're enough and that we're okay. And, you know, we kind of feels like sometimes we need to really overshoot in order to get that validation. Absolutely. Um, so it can be that much more painful, especially like you, Denali, when you're talking about putting yourself out there, you put all of your heart, 
all of your creativity, all of like this authentic expression, like out there. And then it was just tepid, right? At least that's what, how it felt for you. Right. Mm-hmm. And so of course it can really be triggering and, you know, kind of bring up all that negative self-talk that we're talking about. But what I'm hearing from you is that it was that you were really able to like, kind of recognize that you were able to kind of like temper oh, yeah. in some rational thought. You were, you were able to kind of coddle yourself in a way that you, that you kind of felt like you got yourself to a, to a decent place. And then it was like icing on the cake when you got all of this, you know, kind of fan support. Yeah. I'm hearing a lot of positive self-talk actually in the kind of like post experience. Yeah. But you said, you said, you said that I did kind of, kind of like go into your life, seeped into your life a little bit. So like, before you got Ooh, to a really wow. good place, what happened? How'd yeah. you spell? Oh, yeah. Spell. <laughs> it, was, it was a journey, you know? It was a journey. I got home, and uh, it was global pandemic time. Yes. Mm-hmm. So not only was all of this happening in my mind and in my soul and in my life during, you know, drag race and TV world, we got home, and then I had to sit at home with my thoughts, and I had mm-hmm. to sit in quarantine and not have as a lot of my kind of support around me besides my besides my boyfriend who i was quarantining with who my god the most patient man shout out to big head alex for just taking in all of the stress his his name is big head (laughs) his name is big head (laughs) that's uh, and that's not just the size of his cranium you you had me a a big head (laughs) (laughs) that's his uh online persona slash nickname and also what the fans call him um (laughs) you know uh i shout out to him for taking on all that stress that was you know post drag queen quarantine drama yeah how did that manifest itself what did you do well how were you behaving it started to seep into my personal life a lot i i really got insecure about us about my relationship and then also Mm. about the future of my career because I was like oh you're just a moderate girl you're an eighth place kind of girl you are a safe girl that's probably how you're going to be reflected in the real world so (gasps) you might get a few bookings you might get um a few little sponsorship things here like uh you might be maybe you'll take some cute pictures with some people but you're probably not gonna have millions of views on YouTube or you probably won't be booked every single weekend all across the world. Um, You probably won't be loved by a lot of fans. Like I just really started to internalize all of that. And I put a lot of that stress onto my partner. I put a lot of that stress onto myself where I was just like, I'm not going to have a career. And I feel very indecisive about everything that I do, every single decision I make. And, uh, yeah, I just started to project a lot yeah. of that, um, a lot of that, uh, uncertainty, I yeah. think everywhere throughout my life. And I think it, it wasn't until the fans and the way things kind of like unraveled that I realized that, um, I was going to have a perfectly fine career, <laughs> not only a perfectly fine career, but, uh, one that was, was very successful and, um, I just, I don't know. I, I look yeah. back at that, that those few months that were in quarantine and I just think about how tough I was on myself and how difficult mm. that was. But I'm really proud of myself because instead of letting it manifest and fester for too long, what I did was I put a lot of that negative energy into creating content because we were in quarantine. And I was like, you know what? I think the fans will really consume 
content well because they're all sitting at home on their phones right. anyway. Right. Yep. You right. know? Yeah. So I made some really unique stuff. I did ice skating videos. I did some really cool photo shoots. I did some with live animals and like just really tried to make my whole package is what we yeah. call it, our drag race packages mm-hmm. very <laughs> unique. And yeah. uh, I think because of those reasons is why the fans connected to me. So to see everything fall in place where but, it has, I'm just uh, also, let me just say that, let me just say this too, because like, you know, we kind of go into this talking about like all the negative self-talk and whatever, but you already are like killing it with rewriting these narratives. Yeah, like you're, talking, you're, you're like talking about all the different ways that you're proud of yourself and all the things that you've been able to do positively to kind of follow suit, which is amazing. And that's I also, exactly what you did. And I also, and I also kind of like really relate to this idea that it feels like in order for us to be enough, you have to be extraordinary, right? Yeah. Like, because, and that's the bullshit narrative that we've learned from a very early age in life, because there's something inherently broken and damaged and deficient about who we are that we have to really overcompensate for that. So be yeah. extraordinary. Otherwise you're not going to fucking matter. Be a, be a star. Or yes. My narrative forever was be a star. Or you're nobody. And, yeah. Yeah. and, and I, you know, my, my narrative in my head over 20, you know, when I was in my twenties was you're not going to make it. You're not going to yeah. make it as an actor. And here, 35 years later, whenever I, 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 I enter a dry period where it's like, you're not going to make it. I said, I've been here for 50 years. I'm yeah. still working. Shut You've up. You've made it. So, You've made it. Denali, take us back. Because yeah. you had a very uh, arduous childhood. You grew up in Alaska. You're the first RuPaul's yeah. drag queen from Alaska. What town were you in? True. I grew up in a uh, town called Fairbanks. Um, oh, Fairbanks, Alaska. Town Fairbanks, Alaska. It's the second largest city in Alaska, but that's not really saying much. <laughs> right. um, like within city limits, it's probably about like 30 to 40,000, I think, which is quite a bit, you'd think. But Alaska is half of the size of the United States. A lot of people don't know this. Yeah. Alaska is yeah. massive. Yeah. You yeah. see it on your little, we, we call you guys the lower 48 because we're, you know, up here <laughs> yeah. and the rest of the U S is the lower 48. It has three Whenever, different time zones in Alaska. That's how big it, it is. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it has multiple time zones. Yes. But like, it's just massive. And, um, what people don't know is that like, it does take up half the United States. So even though my city was about 40,000 or something, it's so spread out that mm-hmm. it was still very, very, very small town. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I grew up in Alaska, I grew up in Fairbanks, where if you weren't figure skating, doing hockey or skiing, you were doing drugs and getting pregnant. That's just right. like how it went. And it was a, <laughs> you know? a, co- a conservative environment, your family, very religious, yeah. I understand. Yes, uh, I was raised very, very... Uh, Christian and I went to church very often. My mother is Mexican, so she really pushed a lot of um, you know those religious ideals on on us and things like that. And I wanted to be a good little boy. I was the youngest, mm-hmm. and I just wanted mm-hmm. to impress my mother because I was a young gay boy who basically <laughs> just wanted to be his mother. Um, so I worked my ass off to pray the gay away and um, mm. say my scriptures all the time, and yeah. you know. And it just got to a point where my teenage years and that fervent desire for men uh, just (laughs) coincided and like I couldn't handle it anymore. But uh, it was really tough throughout those really intense and very uh, formative teenage years. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. I had known that I was queer at 13 and I came to my mother and I, I addressed it to her as Hey mom, I think I have something wrong with me. Like I am disgusting. Uh, there yeah. is this like 
feeling I feel when I see an Abercrombie torso or I go to the <laughs> underwear aisle at Target and I can't handle myself. Right. Um, yeah, it feels like know, torture. It feels like torture. And, uh, <laughs> you know, her immediate response was, okay, well, we're going to pray and we're going to, oh we're going to fix gosh. this. You know, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't my dad, surprisingly, uh, they always butted heads and my dad was not very religious. And he was like, oh, I, you know, my brother is gay. Don't worry about it, Cord. You'll oh, be wow. fine. Yeah, but you um, want your mom to love you. You want her to love you and you yeah, want her, you want to be, you. you don't want your own mother, your own flesh and blood. You know, it's so funny. Like my, I have a teenager now who's 16. Oh, God, I'm so old. He's a junior in high school. And there's so mm-hmm. many queer kids in school who do not have any of the baggage that we have. Uh, girl, the, I the, am so jealous. Because the Gen parents Z. are like, like, who cares? Like yeah. even I'm my so own jealous. son, he, my son, homophobia baffles him. He's like, hate yeah. somebody because they're a dick. Don't hate them because they're queer. Right. But, you know. Oh. So how old were you when you got away? I understand you were, um, yeah. you, okay. You were an ice skater on Royal Caribbean yeah. and I did a yeah. ton of gay cruises. And on one of the cruises, one of the ice skaters was fired because he went to a party went to one of the dance parties. And this is how shady Royal Caribbean is. He, they let him do all of his shows during the entire week. And, and after his final again. show, he said, they, you're fired. What? Wait, he I was fired that. because he went to like a gay dance party? He went, He, you're not supposed to go down to the dance floor and fraternize. And this kid right. went, not only went down to the dance floor, fraternized, <laughs> was, was, you know, was part of the party. It was a gay cruise. And these uh-huh. kids are stuck at sea for months at a time. And they were like, <gasps> gay people. And oh, they, so they, he was they, like talking to the gays. Yeah, especially. he got fired. Was that you? Uh, that was not me. Um, oh. I was never caught. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I did the same thing. You are at sea and there's beautiful people. And sometimes you just want to have fun with the beautiful people. <laughs> um, no. Uh, yeah, I, I, I left. Um, so my life, I've lived like 20 different lives. But mm-hmm. every every three to five years, I completely change my life and I do something else. Um, but at the time when I was coming out, I was 17 years old. So between 13, when I told my mom that I was gay and 17, I really tried hard to pray the gay away. And those were the years that were extremely formative and very damaging for a long time for five years. I just, I I hated myself. I was like, you know, I was like, I, I'm an abomination. I'm going to, Oh, and then, uh, I was training competitively for figure skating at 17 years old. And it's when I met my first like group of gay people, which were my fellow ice skaters. Um, and then it wasn't until cruise ships that I really met like a lot of gay people. Cause like literally yeah. queer people run entertainment and run mm-hmm. like the cruise industry. <laughs> right. Um, so uh, that's when I really blossomed into my queerness. And I think really started to embrace like just all of it, my sexuality, the way I wanted to dress, the way I wanted to present myself, everything. So yeah, yeah, when we when we grow up feeling that level of shame, obviously the kind of like the first like major defense for us is to just hide it, right? To be closeted, to not open up about it, talk about it. But then yeah. after we, after we come out, and then especially when we get to connect with other gay people or queer people and feel a sense of community, then it like helps us open up more. Oh. But then we kind everything. of but then we also kind of find these like more subtle kind of nuanced 
defenses for us, right? Like ways that we try to cover up that like something's not enough. Like we try to like outshine or overperform or whatever. Um, I know for, I know for a little bit, kind of like at the start of my career, I like kind of like threw myself into work kind of like, I felt like I needed to hustle, like all that kind of hustle culture bullshit Mm -hmm. and to try to kind of like prove something, right. That those me trying to cover up something. What was, what was that for you? Was that, was that work also? Absolutely. I think drag queens, first of all, are all workaholics. Um, we're all egomaniacs and we are all our own like stars. So Mm -hmm. I think that (laughs) all of us believe that if we're not hustling enough and, you know, I'm not going to lie, the drag race culture, um, also, also has produced a bit of this. Like if you don't hustle hard enough for this first year after you are off the show, yeah. These next girls are going to come along and you are going They're to gonna be wipe you out. forgotten. Yeah. yeah. They're going to yeah. wipe you out. I've had multiple, multiple uh, managers when I was deciding who I was one of the last of my cast to link with a management team because I didn't trust anybody. Mm. Um, but <laughs> I had multiple managers tell me uh, one of them and specifically word for word said, listen, sweetheart, your 15 minutes of fame are going to be up here really fast. So if you don't link with me, the next girls are going to come right along. And that's just the way the business runs. Fear-based management. management, And I was like, wow, are you trying to sell yourself to me? Because that is not the ticket, sweetheart. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I was like, anyways, not going with you. (laughs) But no, so uh, I, I, you know, I just want good, honest people that are around me that are willing to fight for me that, you know, it's, it's, it's as simple as that. I, that's why I praise Simone so much because she's really maintained her house that literally came from Arkansas to where she is now. She's on Jimmy Kimmel and she is, you know, modeling for a million campaigns in Moschino and just killing it all while keeping her circle that was from the very beginning around her because they were people that she trusted. And I just, I'm really, I really commend that. Um, but anyways, you know, this culture teaches us to hustle, 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 because yeah. the next girls are going to come around and it's going to be hard and you're going to be forgotten and all of this stuff. And I'm telling you, we are all exhausted. Yeah. And, yeah. And, like we are so, so tired. It and sounds like you, you set know, the bar really high for all of yourselves. Now yeah. uh, you, talk, yeah. you talked with our, our, our producer and um, mm-hmm. it seems that at some point your negative self-talk the yeah. talk that, and I really believe that it's kind of like the talk that we were, we were, that was bestowed upon us when we were young. It was kids. imprinted on us. We were conditioned this way. It was imprinted on us. We're conditioned. It had consequences for you in the form of uh, a drug habit and, and mm-hmm. you got in a little bit of trouble. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yes. Um, there was a time. So after cruise ships, uh, I, I was touring on cruise ships for a while. How and, many years? Uh, I was on cruise ships for four and a half years, I believe. Yeah. So you went everywhere. Time. You went, like, I went to the Mediterranean, the Caribbean. Yeah. There's very mm-hmm. few jobs after, you know, being a competitive figure skater besides like Disney on ice. Mm-hmm. So I decided to do cruise ships and I liked it for my young twenties. But as I got into my mid to, you know, like mid twenties, I was like, okay, there's gotta be more than this. It's a very mm-hmm. isolating life. Um, so I wanted to move out of it. And it's when I discovered drag. And I really wanted to try drag because it just felt, I wanted to produce art that was completely mine. Mm. I didn't want to have to be a certain role. I didn't want to be a boy too. I didn't want to have to be Aladdin. I wanted to be mm-hmm. something that I created. So drag was really intriguing to me, but this one final opportunity came along and it was Cirque du Soleil, which was like, oh my God, 
so glamorous. It must have been yeah. so amazing. Cirque du Soleil, right? It was a show that featured ice skating for the very first time. Oh. So they employed ice skaters and it was so exciting. It was going to change the game. We were going to fly. We were going to do acrobatics. We were going to do everything. So we get there. There's Olympians in the cast. It is such an amazing and an honor, you know, to be a part of. And at this point, I'm at like peak, like, oh my God, I'm so tired of tour life. But let me do this one last one because it's mm-hmm. supposed to be, it's supposed mm-hmm. to fix everything. Right. Mm. Uh, first of all, there were three queer people, three in a cast of, I think, 80 or what? I think 80 people. With and, all those uh, ice skaters, there's only three. That's weird. Only. Right? Exactly. Now we're out. (laughs) So, you know, at this point, I am yearning for a sense of queer community even more. And I'm I'm shoved into probably the most hetero environment I've ever been in. Mm. And uh, it really affected me. But also the show was a circus show on the ice. So it was created by circus people who did not give a shit about us. They were like, we don't Mm. care about you all. Even though we're doing this on the ice, you guys are people that can push an object from point A to point B quickly. And you can do this and you can do that. And it was the most unfulfilling artistic experience of my life. Oh, no. <laughs> so it was devastating. And I was supposed to be on this contract for two years. So I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to go crazy. And within a few months, I linked up with another guy who was, who was a heavy Coke user. And mm. <laughs> I was like, Hey sis, let's get through this contract together. <laughs> oh <laughs> like, yeah. Not, not healthy at all. And, yeah. um, within a few months I started to develop a bit of a habit. And then, um, you know, it was kind of the thing where every time we go out after the shows or whatever I'm using and, and then there was one night where we were in San Antonio, Texas. It was very early on in the tour. It was only like three months in or something like that. We were in San Antonio, Texas. I went out with my two other girlfriends, the the two other gays that were on cast and uh, found a stripper. Was like, hey, dude, you have some Coke? Okay, great. We are leaving the club and it is a notorious club in San Antonio, a gay club that is uh, patrolled by police for drug activity. Oh, Mm. no. And so uh, the police rush up to us and I'm very calm. I'm like, hey, we're just trying to go home. Nothing, nothing's this is happening but a friend of mine that was with me who was like seven years my senior <laughs> bolts he just starts to run oh no he just sprints oh, away no. which is immediately the cops go work okay we're yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they do and at the time i did not know that you were allowed to like say you don't get to search me um but hmm. i don't know apparently I don't know. I just didn't know. And and the police are very fear-based as well. And so you got booked on a possessions charge. I got booked on a possessions charge for less than an eighth of a gram. It was very, very small, but either way, um, you know, had to post a 3000 bail, uh, was in jail in San Antonio for 11 hours, returned back to the show, did not tell them. Um, but, uh, there was a news article posted the very next day that was like, ooh, Cirque ooh. du Soleil artists ooh. arrested in San Antonio oh, for no, cocaine no. possession. And so the entire show finds out and we're transported to the next city in Florida, but we're not allowed to do the shows. And then they uh, decide to keep my friend that had ran and was also arrested with me. He ran. They decide to keep him in the show but they decide to fire me because oh. I had I had the drugs on me. 
it was the most devastating thing of my life. I was like, oh my God, my life is over. This is it. Like, just take me now. It was horrible. Um, It was, it was, yeah, it was looking back. Alec, it it was was like when you lost your 35 cents for milk. Oh my God. Period. That was like, it's yeah, pretty much I, the same I, thing. Listen, I don't want to compare suffering here. This isn't the suffering Olympics. But when you, we show are up, when you show up without your milk money, it's just as traumatic as being arrested on a cocaine's possessions charge in Texas. Um, Denali, what I'm hearing from you, what I really love is because um, we're running out of time. Because yeah. uh, you know we always get are we to this having point. so much fun? I'm sorry, I, I babble so much. That no, that is no, that is, is great. That is the best compliment we've gotten from everybody on the show. Um, Bob the drag queen, you says I usually I, I dread these things, but this is the most fun I've ever had. You guys we, are great listeners. We had people who were like <laughs> I don't want to do podcasts. I go, are we over? I can't believe we're Carson Questley. I love it. Who only gave us half an hour when we said your time's up. He goes, no, I'm not done. He goes, yeah, you are. Bye, bitch. So. um, <laughs> She had a hard out because she had to do Access Hollywood. What I'm hearing from you, which I love, is reinvention, resilience, um, taking your negative, taking your negative experiences, and talking yourself through it. Yeah. My question is, what I heard from you is when the fandom started responding positively to you. What I heard and what I saw is that you changed your mind about yourself. My question is, is have you been able to give that to yourself outside Ooh, of the fandom? Going in because deep the fandom, the 11th hour. <laughs> because the fandom can be very, you can get very dependent on that too. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> oh my God. Are you living okay. for the applause or can you give it to yourself? Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know this was happening today. <laughs> um, Oh, that is so good. It's right in the and title, Hot Mess. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. I'm sorry. I've had a very emotional few days. There's just been a lot of like emotional movement in the universe in general. Yeah. Understood. Um, yeah. But um, you're, I mean, you hit it on the nail on the head. I'm uh, my own worst critic. I am my own hardest. Uh, just, I'm just, I'm very hard on myself. I come from the athletic world and there's so much that I want to improve on now. And I want it now and this Mm -hmm. like that. And sometimes I need that almost massive outward stimulus. That's like, Hey girl, no, you're good. We like you or whatever, before I can even begin to think that like I am worthy or that I am of value or whatever. Mm. So it's, it's ridiculous, but you are so right. It's, it's something that I've had to teach myself that to come from internally and I can have the love of my life. Like my boyfriend who yells it at me every single day, how great I am, but I will not accept it until the numbers are there or unless the bookings are there or Mm. unless, you know, this, this, and that. And we live in such a, you guys were saying earlier how hard it is so many different ways to find that voice right now, but it's so hard for so many reasons. Capitalism. Mm -hmm. It's so hard because of um, the industry that I'm in entertainment in general, being queer and internalized homophobia. Mm -hmm. Um, And also this, this new digital age where we're all ranked numerically where it's like, you know, your sister has 600,000 followers Mm. and your sister has this much money. It's and, all external. You know, we, it's all it's external. All external yeah. And we're seeing it. We're, I'm reading every comment. I am seeing every single thing about reception. And it's just like, I'm internalizing all of that. And like, what effect does that have on me mentally, spiritually? So, you know, it's been a, a really, really, really good practice being able to rewrite my own narratives, like you said, and then make sure that it comes from me. 
internally yep. and not all of these outward things. So, exactly. and, and that's just, you know, meditation that is just, uh, being alone with myself sometimes and just being proud of myself and mm. even things like this, like conversations with like good, well-minded adults that like have been through shit in their life and can just be like, Hey, let's talk it out. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm that kind of person that calls their mom and's like, mom, I have a problem. And then mm. I, I don't even let her speak. And I just like talk for 30 <laughs> minutes and I'm like, okay, I just solved my problem. Thank you. And she's like, okay. <laughs> just yeah. having a safe space. Um, yeah. Just a safe space kind of a thing. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's, you know, self-work like that and here I am babbling again, but no, um, not at all. Yeah, it's, you know, we had, you know, during the pandemic, everybody was like, I'm going to write a screenplay. I'm going to learn how to make sourdough. I'm going to, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm going to learn another language. And we had um, one of my friends over uh, on the podcast, Jody Sweeten. Remember this mm -hmm. uh, interview? And it was, she's so great. She's a recovering um, meth addict mm -hmm. okay. and she's in recovery. So she's in a lot of therapy. And she said, my intrinsic value does not change. It's immutable. Yeah. It doesn't change whether I'm doing something or not doing something. My value is immutable. My value exists in sitting still. Yeah. My value is a person. And, wow. and it's like, that's the place we all have to get to. Matt, yep. are you, you agree? Yeah, I totally agree. I was just going to say, because like Oprah says something very similar, which is our value is our birthright. It is inherent. It's not something we hustle for. It's automatically there. And so if we find ourselves yeah. spinning in any other way, that's coming from a very irrational belief, not the truth of who we are. Right. Wow. And the truth is you could have a million followers or 2 million followers. If you don't believe that yourself, none of that's going to matter. None of it matters. Exactly. None of it matters. And I know, and I know people with 10 million followers who are so unhappy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. You know, yep. it just, it just doesn't matter. We yeah. always ask our guests uh, at the very end of the show, what their hot message would be. So given, okay. And you're not the only person who listens. There's a lot of listeners on the program who come from conservative spaces. Mm -hmm. who kind of have grown up kind of buying the negative self-talk. Yeah. What mm -hmm. would your hot message be to them? My hot message to them, and I say this at the end of all of my shows, is to believe in divine timing. Um, if you are in a space where you feel invisible or you are very negative and you are, you know, kind of just putting a lot of that negative self-talk on you, understand that life is all about dips it's all about, you know, ebbs and flows. And that if there is a kind of dark period that you're going through and it can only be light after that, as cheesy as it sounds, it is, it is a pattern that has followed my life so much, be it the Cirque du Soleil thing, be it my figure skating career, be it the fandom reception on drag race, everything. So if you are going through something, understand that there is divine timing with it and it will make sense later. Wow. That's what I would say. That's so great. <laughs> uh, where can we, okay, before you get off the show, I, everybody go to YouTube right now and watch Denali do 100% pure love. No. That's like one of the best, most historical, um, historically amazing lip syncs that's ever been Thank on. You. At one point, this is my favorite part of it, Matthew. She goes to the other queens, this. She rakes her. <laughs> she kills the entire room. When I tell you I blacked out, I do not remember doing that. But <laughs> Amazing. I was like, okay, there she is. Where can people find you on your socials, Denali? Um, you can find me on all platforms at Denali Fox. That's D-N-A-L-I-F-O-X-X -X with two X's. I am a fox. Um, and 
uh, yeah, you can just follow me and see where I'm uh, performing. I'm going to be performing all over the UK in September. I'll be in Hawaii in early October, um, Canada in late October, and then Mexico in November. And then I'm taking a break in December and I'm going to see my family. <laughs> yeah. Self-care. Thank you so much for doing Self-care. the show. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you guys so much thank for having you. me. Thank you. you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Love you guys too. Bye. Matthew, that yes. was just, I was like everything I needed to hear. I know. That was really great. That was really, really great. What's your yeah. hot message, big boy? My hot message is, I think something that we kind of uh, touched on a few different times, which is uh, it's really easy for us because of how much, you know, how much bullshit we had to put up with and shame we had to feel about ourselves growing up that we feel like we have to be extraordinary in order to matter, in order to be okay, in order to be lovable and keep a seat at the table. And that's bullshit, you know, because the truth is, is that the most beautiful fucking moments in life are the most ordinary moments of life. Mm. And so ordinary is beautiful. That's my message. Like my zit, like the zit on my nose. (laughs) No, that's extraordinary. (laughs) It's a total bullseye. Uh, What I related to, to Denali today was the competitiveness of an athlete because I'm extremely competitive Mm -hmm. and it's one thing to have high standards for yourself, but being tough on yourself, being hard on yourself, what I learned doesn't always make you better. No, you can't hate yourself into a version you'll love. You can, exactly. Being hard on yourself, sometimes being gentle with yourself yes. and being nurturing to yourself yes. is kind of what you're, because you're, what your inner, because your inner artist is a child. Mm-hmm. That's what makes you bloom. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that with my own kid. I've seen that, you know, I don't want to overpraise him, but when I recognize the things that he's doing well and I highlight him, yeah. he highlighted, even as a little kid, I could see him light up. So, yeah. yeah. So just be listeners, download and subscribe or you'll die. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm being gentle. Download and subscribe because we love you. Um, Matthew, where can people find you on your socials? You can find me at MJ Dempsey Psych on Instagram, Twitter, Matthew J. Dempsey Psychotherapy on Facebook. That's it. Oh, yeah. Your Instagram is very fun. I enjoy uh, thank you. I stalk you on the Instagrams. <laughs> and <laughs> likewise, it's mutual stalking. You have a very self effacing smile. Um, uh, you can find me at Alec Mop on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can find us both at the Hot Mess Pod on Instagram. We want to hear yeah. from you. Uh, Matt and I often have shows where we answer your questions. Yeah. So write us. We love hearing from you. Don't forget to download and subscribe. Uh, we love you and tune in next week for more Hot Mess fun. Goodbye. Bye, everybody. This has been a Stage 29 podcast production. The podcast is executive produced by Patty Chiano, Laferne Cusack, and Stephanie Kaysen. Our audio editors are Jackson Ruff and Jonathan DeMatty. Callie Kelts is the social media producer. And a special thanks to the rest of our podcast crew, Rwani Horinige, William Cusack, Lisa Clark, Katie Brown, and Morgan Kaler. This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice, do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.